Sales development continues to grow in importance as a critical component of a successful go-to-market strategy. And with the explosion of new tools, technology, and processes, the sales development industry itself is thriving, as seen with the growth of the 10-bound sales development market map over at 10bound.com. On this podcast, we'll dive deep and go beyond sales development to think about the future of technology, processes, and tools in the industry with our host, noted futurist, author, and sales development practitioner, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. Tune in each week and be sure to hit subscribe, leave a comment, and turn on notifications to never miss an episode. And now, Beyond Sales Development with your host, Justin Michael. Welcome to Beyond Sales Development. I'm Justin Michael, your host, doing my best, William Shatner, and I'm joined here by the inimitable, I know that's a word, Steve Hall. Very logical, Justin. You're doing (laughs) a Spock impersonation. I love it. I love your posts. They're so bold, and maybe you want to explain more if that's your strategy or personality, but I really enjoy all the content I've been seeing from you over the years, and a lot of C-suite selling content. I think bold's probably a euphemism for obnoxious. It's probably my personality. And besides, you've got to stand out. And uh, it's better to have opinions and, and uh, than not have opinions, in my, in my opinion. <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was very badly phrased, wasn't it? <laughs> you were able to say opinion four times, which highlights what yeah. opinions are all about. Look, you came on my radar through Tony J. Hughes and some of the B2B scenes in uh, Australia and in Sydney. I tell people there's a vibrant community down there of pretty serious B2B salespeople. Uh, you know, it's it's impressive. I used to be in John Smybert's group, and you put a comment in there, and everybody would contribute. And I feel like these new Slack channels are similar to that. What are some of the kind of the groups that are getting you excited? Maybe it's networks, because I'm seeing this trend worldwide. That's a good question. I mean, it's, a, it's a good point because LinkedIn groups used to be at least vaguely interesting, whereas now they've died a death. And I haven't actually found, I've, I've only recently heard of the Slack groups. So I'll have to, you'd have to tell me more about them. But um, at the moment, certainly uh, LinkedIn groups are uh, more abundant. And I just, I just, just use LinkedIn generally. And I'm fortunate enough to, pardon me, obviously dying here. I'm lucky enough to have a, a reasonable amount of followers on LinkedIn. And so I get my engagement that way. But I'd love to learn more about uh, some interesting groups. Yeah, there's some, you know, freed ones and paid ones and mastermind ones. Yeah, I I remember interfacing with you in some of those groups. And I just remember your willingness to kind of call any CEO on the phone. Am I getting this right? I mean, you've, you've put forth some strategies that are just bold. I don't know if people are doing that now. I feel like they're just emailing and personalizing the email and not even sending it up high. I mean, it's, it's consensus world, but maybe we've gone too much in that direction. Well, I'm happy to call the CEO directly if there's a reason to call the CEO directly. If I'm not just, you know, just trying to talk about myself and sell stuff. But if the, if I've got something that I think that the CEO will be interested in, then I'll call them and I'll know that if I can't get through to them, then I will know who I want to go to next. So a while back, a client of mine wanted to speak to the CEO of uh, uh, the largest health fund in Australia. And once I finally found a number for them, which was a pain in the backside because they wouldn't, they didn't put their number anywhere. I called the CEO, spoke to the executive assistant. And she said, oh, he's away for three weeks. Will the CFO do? And I said, yeah, sure, that's fine. So it's, it's not that hard if you've got something to say. And if you sound like them, if you sound like a, 
12-year-old SDR, chances are you're going to get rebooted somewhere else. Yeah, so are you a fan of SDR work or full cycle, or is it more highly trained SDRs or kind of sniper like Moneyball, very specialized SDRs? How would you construct the sales organization of the future, especially with what you just described, which is so powerful still to just call into the power base? Well, I mean, the, the, the answer to pretty much every question about sales is it depends. It depends what you sell. It depends who you sell it to, et cetera. But let's assume that you sell high-value items that help an organization strategic, achieve their strategic goals and therefore would be of interest to someone in the C-suite. If that's the case, then potentially a new customer is going to be worth, have a lifetime value of anything north of a million dollars over you know for the for the time that they're, with, that, that they're with you so it's worth putting an effort in to get to speak to the right people now if you think of it from the perspective of the cxo that you're trying to get onto they've got a whole heap of people that they're trying to get to them and they don't spend their life sitting in the office thinking gosh i wonder if steve's going to call me and sell me stuff they have things like employees and peers and shareholders and boards and governments and regulatory authorities and customers and products and a whole heap of stuff that they care about a lot more than they care about salespeople they've never heard of. So for them to get a call from an unskilled SDR whose job is to qualify for the important enough or to qualify if they have a need is a bit of an insult and it's no surprise that it pees them off. So if I'm going to call a CEO, I need to be able to have at least a vaguely intelligent conversation with him about stuff he cares about in his terms. I need to sound like him. So I'm not against SDRs conceptually. What I am against is the train of thought that thinks, okay, we use SDRs to save our valuable salespeople's time because they cost us a lot and we want to get the cheapest ones possible. So we'll get unskilled salespeople or people who are just trainees or people who are offshore to qualify people to see if they're important enough for our expensive account executives to talk to. And from the perspective of the people being called, that's not very good, especially when everyone's doing it and they're getting 10 calls a day. That's a very, very good point. So it depends. It depends on what the you know alignment looks like between marketing and sales. I feel like that's a... Uh, who has the term down there? Pete Strokorv, who has marketing, the idea of marketing and sales coming together, TM. How can sellers be micromarketers? You have really excelled in content production, short form, new media. And I've seen leaders say, hey, sellers should curate. They're not great writers. But I always argue, but they're great persuaders. They could write in their own voice. Like, what are your thoughts? Again, I'm going to hit how depends. it depends again. But... If you can't write, you shouldn't. If you can write, then you certainly should. But you've got to write about things that the your audience wants to read. And you've got to talk about them, not you. One of the biggest challenges that a lot of salespeople and a lot of marketing people have, too, is that they write about themselves and their product. Hey, we've got this great new product, this great new feature. We won this big deal. We've got this new office. And no one cares about that. I'm lucky that I can write. And many, many, many years ago, when I was selling ERP systems, I was doing a lot of cold calling. And cold calling for ERP systems is not a lot of fun because no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, oh, hey, I'll buy an ERP today. And on a cold call, you can't say, oh, hi, have you thought about buying an ERP? And would you like two in red? You know, it's it's, it's a long-term thing. So I used to write direct, what, was, what in those days were actual letters, you know, on paper with envelopes. 
and I used to send them out. But I wouldn't write about how great we were. I'd write about the things that they cared about. So when I wrote to publishers, I'd write about the challenges of handling returns or new title releases. And when I wrote to consumer electronics distributors, I'd write about rebates and how rebates work in the Australian market and what some of the challenges are with rebates. And every so often I'd go along to, I'd, I'd get a meeting with someone and I'd go, or someone would call me and I'd go along and I'd say, oh, I kept your letter from a year ago because I was writing about stuff that they cared about. And it wasn't even that I was educating them. I was showing I knew my stuff. So people should write if they can write stuff that's of interest that doesn't make them look like, to use a technical term, wallies. <laughs> well, tell me about this. So you've been obsessed with this uh, for a long time, is relevance. But how do you find out, you know, you were doing this before the internet. You, I mean, the wisdom here is that same focus on what's relevant to them, understanding their business. I, I wanted to get that. Like, how are you doing research now to break through and differentiate? Well, it's really not that difficult. I mean, if you're selling to a public company, they have this thing called an annual report in the, in, in the States, a 10K, and they lay out their strategic goals in there. They, it, it, it lays out how much to get paid, what they get paid for, what the key performance indicators are. So, you know, that's a pretty, good, a pretty good clue. If they're in a particular industry, you don't need to be a genius to work out, for instance, that the, well, I'll talk Australia because I know Australia better than the States, but similar things would apply. In Australia, our aged care industry is struggling because people are dying in, in aged care facilities. So that's a huge issue for them. Our superannuation industry, we, have a, uh, we, we contribute a proportion of our wages to superannuation through government fiat, and they've They've just lost $42 million of people withdrawing their superannuation early because of COVID-19. So, so there's, there's a lot of stuff that's, that's pretty obvious. You don't, and, and the thing is that senior executives care about strategic stuff, and, there's, and there's, that's, that's affected by the political environment, the health environment, the regulatory environment, the issues in their particular industry. And there's always an industry report, or, and, and then they tell you in the website, they tell you on their 10K. So you, you don't, you've only got to have a, a brain and be able to read and do a bit of research to do that. The problem is that some people want, people want a one-size-fits-all value proposition. They want a value proposition that applies to everyone. But the, why, the more people it applies to, the more diffuse it is. If your value proposition is, we can save you money, as an example, then you could be selling anything. You know, 9,000 9, people have that same value proposition. Whereas if your value proposition is we help component manufacturers to reduce the, you know, to re- reduce the cost of their components by five to ten percent, that's a lot more specific. And if it's your annual report said you want to do A, B, and C, and we can help you do A, that's even more specific. Yeah. So that brings me to another topic, which is some modern sales gurus are saying that Bant is gone. Like budget, authority, need, timeline. They don't have a budget. They have to pull the budget from somewhere else. The authority is not there because it's multiple stakeholders at different levels. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about history really changing. I still, it might go from a different acronym. I feel like prospects know when you're banting them or sandlering them was an interesting term and like the overuse of methodology in Silicon Valley. But do you think bant is still relevant will there be new you know persuasion frameworks because of software because of the future or is it really just people don't want to go through that qualification process now you also mentioned need calling up and qualifying a need what if someone has a latent need those are the two questions like bant and then needs versus latent needs okay well first of all let's talk about that and bant was always irrelevant 
But no, no, it was not true. It wasn't always irrelevant. But waiting until someone has got a budget, they've got a time frame, uh, it, then that means a lot has already happened to get to there. Nobody leaps out of bed and says, oh, I know what, we'll buy so-and-so and we'll put a million, you know, a million dollars or $100,000 aside for that. They say, okay, we've got a problem. We're not selling enough, okay? Uh, yeah, well, we're not, you know, our, profits, our profits are too low. Mm-hmm. Okay, and the management team gets together and they say, what can we do about the fact our profits are too low? And the CFO says, well, we need to cut costs. And the marketing person says, no, we need to do more marketing. And the salesperson says, we need more sales guys. And they get together and they've actually they said, no, we need to sell more. Okay, what's the solution to being able to sell more? Well, we could do sales training or we could sack some of these low-performing sales guys or we could change our prices. There's a lot of heap of different things they could do. And they eventually say, no, no, what we really need is a CRM. And they, and, and they go through a lot of stuff. And then they say, okay, well, which CRM going to choose? And they say, well, we don't know. We'll get, we'll get our, what I call the minions. We'll get the people lower down the totem pole to go out and research. So they say to those people, go off and look at CRMs and find out, you know, how much they cost and how long they take to implement and what the top three or four are and what our competitors are using. So they go off and they do the research and they come back and they say, it's going to cost you a million dollars and it's going to take two years to implement and these are the people you should talk to. And that's when you get the budget. Now, if you're coming into that process after all that's happened, then first of all, all the people that decided to do something that it didn't involve buying a CRM never became leads in the first place. And secondly, all the people that have got a budget have found that from somewhere by talking to CRM vendors and by doing RFIs and by doing the research. If you're coming into it after there's a, a, a bant, then you're in the me too. I've got one too, I'm cheapest, please pick me um, phase. And that's not particularly effective. So I've never been a fan of that. You can trigger buying windows, right? Isn't that, you call it the right time. This, this weird other notion came out. I know I'm like diverting. We'll get the other question. But the whole 75% through the buying process is wild. I mean, <laughs> that would like eliminate the need to do what you're saying. Like people just would then wait for business to drop magically in their in their lap. Well, it's not much you can trigger the trigger, but you have to, well, again, it depends what you sell. When I sold ERPs, people buying an ERP is a big, big deal, not just because it costs a lot, because you have to upend your entire organization for a year or two to get it going. So no one does that on a, on a whim. And it's very difficult for a salesperson to persuade someone that, yes, you should actually make this decision which is going to upend your organization unless there's a damn good reason. So in some cases, you have to be there when they start the cycle or even before they start the cycle, which means building relationships over the long term until they get to that stage. You know, everyone wants the hot lead now and they don't want to go through the, the, the process of building relationships. But when you're selling things to a new customer is worth one to a hundred million dollars. You know, sometimes you need to be able to prepare to put in the time and talk to them a long time before they're ready so that when they are ready, they know who you are, you know who they are, and they trust you. You can't build a trusted relationship after they've made a decision to go with something, to, to, to buy something. You've got to build that trust when they're in the process of looking at the, what the solutions are. And can you cover uncover latent needs? Yes, you can. But again, it's much easier to talk to someone about something they already really care about than it is to get them to care about something that they don't care about that you care about. That makes now, sense. I was going to say now, and also we're talking about needs. If you need to increase your profit, right, or reduce your costs, whatever the need might be, that's not a product need. That's a, a business issue need, right? And that's the, that's the need. The question is, can you show that what you do, do, what you sell, helps them achieve that need? So I don't think you can 
create the need for someone to reduce their costs. But what you can do is show them how what you sell is the preferred method to do that. That makes sense. So, you know, who do you look to for inspiration in this day and age? I feel like some of the great sales writers are a little more esoteric now and there's all these flashy new folks, but some of my favorite authors are, you know, Neil Rackham, right? Or Jeff Toll. I, I like to read these authors from different eras who are totally valid today. If you could just share some more methods of like, you know, your methodology, your process, where the future of methodology and process is going, where the future of C-level selling, any of those topics would be fascinating in your lens. Okay. Well, in terms of authors, the, the, the classic is, always, is to me is still Del Carnegie. You know, we are, we're going back, what, 80 years, longer? But basically, he said, people don't care about you, they care about themselves. That was the essence of his message, and it still applies today. Yeah. Now, there's a whole heap of new authors. I mean, you know, there's, there's Chris Voss, who wrote, um, what was it called? I forget, but Never Split the Difference on Negotiating. Oh. That's a great book. Yeah. I love Robert Cialdini's books, Influence and Persuasion. I mean, there's a heap of great authors out there, but a lot of the books that are good for sales aren't sales books. They're, more, they're about human nature, they're about psychology, they're about negotiation. But there are some great sales books out there too, no question about that. And in terms of, but I mean, look, you specialize in, in technology and there's some great technology, but we've got to remember that technology might change and technology can help us, but it's no substitute for understanding people and human nature is never going to change. So, you, so, so the, the core is understanding people, and then the technology helps you gather information more quickly, maybe get a message to someone more effectively, find out who you need to target more effectively. There's a whole heap that technology can do. But at the end of the day, uh, was it Zig Ziglar that used to say, find out what your customer wants and then help them get it? And that still applies today. I love the simplicity. So how do you get yourself psyched up to call up like the CEO of a massive public traded company and Australia or Europe or APAC or the US or anywhere. I mean, I think there's folks listening who are like, well, Steve can do it because he's so experienced and understands business. And, you know, maybe your experience is daunting in a way. How can folks starting out their job is they have to get enterprise prospects. They have these big Fortune 1000 companies on the phone. They can read the books you talked about. Is there a certain mindset that you're using now to kind of teach them? I hate to say it depends again, but I'm going to. It, that depends upon that depends upon who you are. You know, if you, you you've got if if your job is to schedule a meeting for somebody else, then there are things that you can do to make that happen. I mean, there's a uh, I don't know if you know Mike Sher at Frontline Selling in Atlanta. He's got a methodology which uh, which most people can follow to, that helps people to schedule those meetings, and that depends upon that. that that's basically not talking to them about what they want, simply saying, we want to help you with this issue. Can we schedule a meeting? And then someone else comes to that meeting as well as the person making the meeting. So that's one way to go about it. But when you have an initial meeting of more than 30 seconds with a senior executive, you've got to be able to talk to them in their language about what they care about or you're wasting your time. And so if your job is to schedule those meetings, then you've got to put, have a strategy. What do they care about? What message can I get to them? And if they do speak to me and say, okay, well, tell me what you know about X, Y, and Z. How do I deflect? How do I say, well, look, you know, I need to get bring in this, this guy to help me because I'm basically a teenager. You know? But you, you, practically speaking, you can't get people who haven't got experience to talk intelligently to people who've been, who run a company. 
sometimes I call it the SDR AE industrial complex because it's like we're just going to have these SDR armies and they're going to feed the AEs. But if I think of like a high-end restaurant in New York, you know, the Mater D has been there since it opened, you know, maybe his family's there. I mean, there's like the most experienced, best people that understand the restaurant the most are greeting these patrons to come in for the high-end meal. Like that's why I feel like full cycle sellers have some, some advantages too, because, you know, <laughs> if you don't have the right messaging and you pour teams of people in tech at it, you just are amplifying, you know, a wasteful system, like uh, in, not necessarily incompetence, but it's a lack of the precision in the messaging. It's, it's the vagaries you talked about. What's well, a lack of thought? I mean, the, the thing, this, as I said, people want people want one size fits all messaging. And as, as I said in a post recently, one size fits all doesn't work for socks. If it doesn't work for socks, how can it possibly work for something as, as, as something like a, a value proposition? But you know, because what the CEO of a bank cares about is even different. Will could could easily be what different to what another CEO of another bank cares about because there's different circumstances depending on the region they're in, the size of the bank. Certainly what the CEO of a bank cares about is different to what the CEO of an airline cares about. There's some commonality. Obviously, all CEOs care about profit and risk. But if you're talking, if you're giving a message that applies to all CEOs, it's much less effective than a message that applies to the CEO of a bank. And a message that applies to the CEO of most banks is less effective than a message that applies to that CEO of that bank at that time. So... You can. It, it's much better to make a, a, a smaller number of well-researched, effective calls than it is to make a large number of spray calls out there on the on the basis that, you know, that, that numbers sales is a numbers game. Because the problem with sales is a numbers game if, is that, you know, you've got automatic dialers and you dial make a hundred dials a day and you've got the numbers. You know, you make a hundred dials a day and you get ten people answer and you get five conversations and you get one lead. And that's fine because look, you do you crunch the numbers and you say, well, every lead we get leads to, you know, every ten leads leads to a sale. So in order to get one sale, we're going to do ten thousand calls. Okay, that's the, the logic, isn't it? Totally. The problem is the problem is that the CEO is getting the, the, those ten thousand calls are going one hundred and fifty, two hundred, five hundred other organisations are doing the same thing. So the recipients of those calls are getting calls from hundreds of people, and it pisses them off, so they don't check their data into the phone. So you you know it's it, it, there's a a blizzard of blizzard of calls and now you're getting um people talk about cadence okay you want to get through to people so what's the cadence you start with a phone call then you send them a voicemail then you send them a LinkedIn message then there's an email then a phone call then a voice message then you send them a video then you send and you know you send you know you send them twenty touches and you know and sure that's great if only one person's doing that but when a hundred people are doing that to the same to set to the same guy or girl. Again, it's you know you're overwhelming them. It's pretty comedic. I remember like the Monty Python cheese shop where they never have the right cheese. But I just see like an executive now just being like, oh, a video, oh, a tweet. Like you're just getting buffeted all day by all these channels, not just the phone. It's like their phone buzzes, their TV goes off. I mean, it's like it's pretty it's pretty bad now. I guess you turn all your stuff off. That's right. Well, def- funny you should mention the Monty Python cheese shop sketch. Do you know? Do you want to know a secret about that sketch? Sure. It was done in two live takes, and I was there for both of them. You were in the cheese shop sketch. I was in the audience watching it being filmed. It's funny. John Cleese lives around here. I used to go to the same chiropractor, so uh, that's just totally random. He told me to f off. Oh really? Well, 
at the end of that sketch, Marina Fendiel is coming out and John said, golf. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's, that's crazy. Those are amazing times. Let's see. I would like to know the future because people are saying sales are all going to die. That's true. But what dies off in the SDRAE models, right? So do we replace AI? Do we replace SDRs with AI? Does AI get good enough so we can use it for something? Right now, it seems to be part of a lot of marketing of products that aren't AI. <laughs> so, you know, where could it? And I've talked to some CEOs lately in interviews, and we're like, we have AI and ML, but we're applying it to the wrong problems. Everyone's be like, we want to automate and replace SDRs. We want the AI to write our emails for us. We want our AIs, you know, to close for us. But so it's, it's twofold. It's like the structural dynamics of, you know, sales teams in the future. And then this AI ML stuff that's so far, like, does, is, are you using it? I don't know. Where is it going to go? Well, I mean, that's the, the logic there is we're overwhelming prospects. No, but the logic there is it's costing us too much to overwhelm prospects, so we'll work out a way to overwhelm them even more cheaper. <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's from a perspective. You, you know, you've got to go back to basics, and the basics are who are the companies that I want to deal with? Who are the companies that are my best, my, the, my ideal prospects, right? What do they care about? What's important to them that I can help them with? Who do I want to speak to about it? And how do I get to speak to them? That's pretty basic. Though. Pretty basic. Now that. AI is great. AI is great for research. If you, can, I mean, I don't know that. I don't know if you can do AI looking at ten Ks and things like that. But even AI is, AI is great to get phone numbers, to identify people, stuff like that. To maybe identify identify the companies that you that, that you want to target. Probably, if it were me, I would be. I would have a team of people doing research for the AEs. So, in other words, okay, I'm an ex- account executive. I've got a hundred companies I'm targeting that are my top hundred companies, and then I've got another thousand companies that aren't as important to target, but that, you know still potentially could buy something, right? So, those top hundred companies, I need to know who the exec- who the t- who the key people are what their structure is what's in their 10k what their key performance indicators are i need to know how how they've affected the moment what they're what they're saying on social media and a researcher can do all that just like you know if, if the, i won't talk about your president but if, if a, a senior politician two politicians meet and talk about a, a, a treaty, they haven't done all the work. All the work's been done by researchers that, that, that have negotiated in the background, and they get together to talk about the high-level stuff. So if your executive is a high-level person that can talk executive to executive, then he doesn't want to do that. Re- well, he shouldn't have to do that research himself, or she shouldn't have to do that research herself. So that's a valid role for a, an entry-level person who can do research. Then how do you schedule the meeting? Well, you know, that's a, that's a job for people who are good at scheduling meetings, who can talk confidently, who can talk to executive assistants, who can, if need be, talk to the executive, but say, look, you know, I'm not the expert. I want to bring the expert in to talk to you. So that's a specialized task, but it's not a task for trainees. And then there's a heap of other stuff that happens. But to me, that's it. The research, the scheduling the meetings, and then attending the initial meetings. And sometimes, depending on, again, it depends who you are and who they are, Maybe if you're meeting with a CEO of a Fortune 1000 company, you should be getting your CEO of your company to meet them because, hey, you know, they're pretty much equivalent, aren't they? But, you know, we, we had, I had a client and they were owned by one of the biggest insurance companies in Australia. And they wanted to get into some of Australia's biggest companies. And I was helping them. And I said, well, look, you know, you're owned by this company. And the chairman of that company is on the, on the board 
of other, these other companies. Why doesn't he just chat to them and say, can we talk? Oh, no, no, he's too busy. I said, well, that's bloody ridiculous, you know? You know, so get your executive team involved. If you've got a target of 50 companies and winning one of them as a new customer is potentially worth 5, 10, 15, $20 million, then, yeah, get your CEO involved. Get, 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 call up the executive assistant and say, oh, hi, this is, this is Bill, and um, I'd like to schedule a meeting with my, between your CEO and my CEO to talk about your strategic plans to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so, so the AE should be an experienced person who can sell, but who can also bring in the necessary resources, both the cheaper resources that do the research and the and the, the email and the writing and the scheduling if, if, if someone needs to do the writing, and also the more experienced resources are the CEOs and CFOs that, that he uses to help him or she uses to help her. Wow, this time has blown by, but I would love to just get one more takeaway on what's something someone can do this week to become better at sales. Oh, it gosh. depends. <laughs> Learn more about the business of the people you sell to and learn how to put yourself in their shoes and see things from their perspective. If I were this person I was calling, what would I call about? What would I care about? What would I want to hear? And how would I respond to this message I'm sending, this phone I'm, uh, call I'm making? And when you write, if you are writing, when you write something, the key things to ask yourself are, why am I writing this? What is my audience? And what do I want them to do or think as a result of reading this. That's awesome. We're uh, out of time, but I really enjoyed having you on the show, Steve Hall. I've been uh, following your content for many years. So uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on Beyond Sales Development. Very much my pleasure, Justin. Take care. Take care.